Hi, welcome back to another episode of Multi-Site Masters, the podcast that explores the art of managing and growing multi-site businesses, especially in the retail and hospitality industries. I'm Lee Sheldon, co-founder of MMU, a training and development consultancy which is dedicated to helping managers to achieve consistent operational excellence, becoming world-class operators as a result. I'll be your host for today's show, during which we'll be talking to Tyrone Reed, a hospitality operator with over 20 years of experience with world-famous brands such as Shake Shack, Mitchell's and Butler's, Millie's Cookies and Al Shire in the UK and internationally. Tyrone is now CEO of Alabar Enterprises, a Dubai-based group which operates over 15 different retail and food and beverage brands across Asia and the Middle East. You'll hear Tyrone discuss the importance of a people-first strategy, where happiness goes hand-in-hand with positivity and business and personal growth. He'll explain the challenges and strengths that come from leading a multinational team, as well as giving his view on how operational excellence a perennial subject for these podcasts can be achieved. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Multisite Masters podcast. And today we're going international. I'm delighted to be speaking to Tyrone Reed, the CEO of Alabar Enterprises based in Dubai. Now, Tyrone, I'm going to guess the weather is slightly warmer there than it is here. Yeah, hi, Lee. Certainly is. Um, sat in a, a cool 36 degrees. Uh, looking out the window, looking to the Burj Khalifa, so sun's hot and the palm trees are very high. Yes, at that point we're going to stop talking about the weather because I'm now very jealous. It's great and thank you so much to take part in the podcast today with us. Um, I'm conscious that not everyone's going to know about Alibar Enterprises, so perhaps we could start by telling us a little bit about firstly yourself, your sort of career to date, and then maybe tell us a little bit about Alibaba and Alibar, sorry, and Enterprises and how you've, uh, your role there. Sure, yeah, thanks very much. Look, Lee, thank you very much for inviting me onto the podcast. Um, great to be here and um, been listening to the podcasts uh, avidly for the last uh, few weeks. So, um, a little bit about me, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of take a bit of a plotted history around what I've been up to. Um, so, my background is uh, in the culinary, so I started off working in the kitchens um, originally at a very young age. Uh, I think at the age of seven, I made a, a very strong decision that I wanted to be a chef. Um, so quickly got into kitchens at the age of 14, washing up, so very much started at the ground up. Um, various roles, uh, straight into culinary school at the age of 16, and um, there I really found my niche. Um, so excelled through culinary school, and uh, during that time I worked in the Savoy Hotel uh, in the kitchens there for some work experience, and I uh, had a small tenure in Switzerland uh, working in Verbier, uh, which was a great experience as well. Um, following that, I came back uh, and started to work in uh, Glen Eagles as a commie chef. And you know, it was an amazing time working in such an amazing establishment, learning quality service. Um, was there for just over a year and decided then to start my travels. And I think this is where I got my international um, bug of traveling around. <laughs> I headed off to Denmark. Um, the plan was really to, to, to travel across Europe and work on my way. And I came to Denmark and spent five years there. Um, started off working in, in, in a Scottish pub of all places and um, was promoted very quickly into running uh, two businesses for uh, a private entrepreneur in, in, in Denmark. Um, five years in, I kind of really realized that a lot of my management experience was self-taught and decided to get back to the UK and join Mitchells and Butlers. 
And that was a really great and interesting business to kind of come in and I think schooled myself in the world of management. Um, I took a step back and joined them as an assistant manager, realizing that, you know, a great deal of what I had uh, got was really self-taught and there wasn't a great deal of structure to it. So set upon uh, learning their management training program, um, grew the career path quite quickly within their business. And um, when I left the business, about seven years after that, I left as a regional operations manager. Um, and uh, then from there moved on to join Millie's part of SSP at the time um, as a UK uh, operations director. So I was looking after 110 Millie's cookies and I know Lee, that's where we, our paths crossed uh, firstly then. Um, and 110 yeah, cookie, uh, Millie's cookies across, uh, the, biz uh, across the UK, um, great business, um, you know, a lot of small businesses and uh, a really engaging team um, that was just, uh, you know, immensely proud of what they offered and uh, the heritage that they gave. Um, and I think it was really then that I started to understand a lot more around the strategic nature of a business and, uh, and understanding really what were the, the pieces that really pulled a brand together. Um, and it was, a, I think for me, it was a, an amazing learning journey um, for the two years that I was with SSP, um, just understanding brands and what pulled them. Um, the, the, the time there really, I think, also exposed me to uh, how I was working in with support functions. And I think being within a large organization and um, having ultimately a, a number of support functions that supported me and the business around, it really got me exposed to those businesses or to those support functions in a really different way. Mm. Um, and also crying for time with them and making sure that you got your share of, of that piece. Um, I, I then got a call, again, a random call. Um, I, I recall, I think I was stood in Derby, um, and I got a call for someone saying, have you ever considered working in Kuwait? Um, and at that time, it was a very random conversation and certainly hadn't considered it and really hadn't thought it would be a, an opportunity, but um, uh, you know, progressed that somewhat. And um, after a couple of visits to Kuwait, I was offered a, a role to join a, a very large organization called Al Shire. And mm -hmm. is um, one of the biggest, I think one of the world's biggest uh, franchise businesses. I mean, they've got currently three and a half thousand stores, about 50,000 employees, and they have uh, 80 different brands uh, across uh, the, the Middle East and beyond. So Turkey, Russia, UK, and Eastern Europe. I had four amazing years uh, looking after the Shake Shack brand and was uh, very proud to be uh, heading up the operations for them whenever we took them out of the US. So when I joined, Shake Shack had uh, three businesses in the US. It was a very small brand at the time. Uh, more recently, it's just been valued at a billion dollars as part of their IPO. Um, and really, you know, four years set about the journey of opening in the region of around 30 restaurants for them um, across four years, across 10 different countries. Um, so that, that was really something that exposed me to international um, work uh, and it, my international career, I think, really developed from there. Um, since that time with Al Shire, I, I've moved to Dubai, um, and I've been in Dubai now for three and a half years, um, working uh, with a, a, a local uh, businessman here called Muhammad Alabar, and uh, now working for his family business called Alabar Enterprises, which I'm now the CEO of. Um, maybe a bit about the business itself now and what, what Alabar Enterprises is. I mean, we've got 15 brands uh, in 17 locations, um, and that brand mix is uh, a brand, uh, a mix of homegrown brands and also brands that uh, we have 
the franchise rights for, um, and that's also across a number of sectors. So we have uh, predominantly F&B, but we also have some confectionery retail businesses, mm -hmm. and we also have some lifestyle businesses, which is uh, home furnishings. Um, so the brands under the home furnishing is Ethan Allen from the US. Um, in the confectionery uh, part of it, we have a, 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 a very large confectionery sweet shop uh, in Dubai Mall called Candelicious. And uh, inside of that, we have a number of homegrown brands and UK brands. So we have Spun Candy, which is out of the UK, um, which is an artisan's um, candy shop uh, within, as a concession within the, the Candelicious business. Uh, we have Garrett's Popcorn from the US. Um, we have uh, Cube, which is a homegrown uh, treat um, and uh, uh, favors occasion. Um, we also have a homegrown business called the Works, which is a gelato business, and then we have Hershey's uh, chocolates from the US. Mm -hmm. um, US also, we have Yogurtland, another brand out of Los Angeles, and then we have a couple of brands that we have in the F&B sector that come uh, come to us from from the east, from Jakarta, from Indonesia, which is Social House and Marquette, and then from Paris we have Angelina Tea Room, um, and then we have a homegrown business called Carrot House, which is a local Emirati brand. Um, that really does give the best of the Emirati and the Arabic cuisine. So currently 15 brands, 17 locations, a team of just under a thousand people, um, 50 nationalities. Um, so yeah, we have uh, quite a complex business. Yeah, and I think as someone who demonstrates the art of leading at scale, I think your history there from the Savoy to Mitchell's and Butler's to Millie's Cookies to Shake Shack to brands such as Hershey's and Yogurtland, you really demonstrate that breadth of experience. Uh, that's why we're so delighted to be talking to you today. Um, one of the things that I thought would be interesting to understand is what is your, what's the mission of Alibar Enterprises? What's, what are you trying to achieve? Um. Well, it's actually something we've actually been looking internally uh, to ourselves very, very recently. Um, I've recently been uh, promoted to the CEO role, which really was taking over all of the functions and all of the divisions uh, prior to that as the managing director looking and predominantly looking after the F&B division. So one of the things I wanted to do, um, and I think the team uh, wanted to do, is really, you know, we're a family-run business, um, but we've needed to adapt and we've needed to be Less corporate. I think when 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 the, when the business was actually set up originally, it was set up with a very dry corporate mission and values, which I think has done the business very well. But we wanted to put a lot of emotion back into it, and, and I think put people back where it should be, which is people first. Mm -hmm. um, we're operating in 2017, and we're across. You know, we're operating across the Middle East, and you know, it's a very dynamic place. Um, so we really wanted to change that. You know, to to make it more approachable, to make it more relaxed. Um, so our current mission, or, mission um, or our mission that we've just adopted in the last few weeks, is to bring lovable brands and moments to life throughout, through our passion, our values, and our positivity. Um, now, the UAE is uh, a, a, an amazing place, and it's it's certainly the, the, a country uh, where everything's possible. Um, I, I was at uh, a LinkedIn Awards last night, and uh, the the Minister of Happiness was talking, and um, the UAE is the first place in the world to have a Minister of Happiness, and uh, our, our leader here, uh, Sheikh Mohammed, is a strong believer that happiness is something that really does go hand in hand to positivity and about growth, and I think as a company, we're certainly uh, embracing that. And, and, and you, know, you mentioned about scalable, um, you know, a scalable career, 
uh, and having scalable brands. And I think, again, a mission where we, we want to bring those lovable moments and, and life, you know, through our values and that positivity, I think that goes really from, from our team members, you know, having our people first. And I think my time working with uh, Shake Shack taught me that, you know, Danny Meyer uh, right. setting the table and the whole ethos of, you know, uh, Hospitality 101, um, having your people front and center. Um, and that's, it's, it's been something that I've always looked at, but I think when I met Danny and read his book, I think it was, it was a real um, turning point in my development and my career about how I approach that because I think Danny really kind of positioned it into a, a position, into a book that captured all of those moments and it was actually a framework that we've now adopted um, within our business. Um, I was, I was going to say, I've, uh, I think I came quite late to Danny's book, Setting the Table. I read it probably about two years ago and feel like everyone else had read it before me. And I agree, it really is quite transformative. And I, I certainly recommend if any listeners haven't read it, it does set out a new ethos, I suppose, a new way of thinking about hospitality and thinking about the most important people are your employees and the people who work for you and the, the service that they provide. You, the, the quality of the service that they provide will never exceed the quality of the people that you have. So you've got to have great people and take care of them. And that really set it out for me, that book, in a very powerful way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, and I think that's, um, that's been something that I've, I, you know, within our Shire and within Shake Shack, it was something that I really believed in strongly. And I think now coming to an organization um, where I have the ability now to mold what that future looks like, it's, it's certainly something that we really are pushing further with um, within our team. I mean, today it's, uh, it's Diwali uh, in for uh, our, uh, our Indian work mates uh, and our, work t our team, team members. So today in the office we had a Diwali celebration where all the team members have dressed up in national costume um, and we have celebrated uh, the, 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 the Festival of Lights. Um, and again, when you have a business where there's 50 nationalities, you know, you have to really be thinking about what are uh, the cultural pieces across all of those 50 nationalities um, to make sure that everyone feels inclusive. Yep. So we really do go out of our way to, to do that. You know, just from a well-being point of view, there's, a, there's an initiative starting tomorrow, which is 30 minutes of exercise for 30 days. And as an organization, we're participating in that. Um, you know, we've just part of our mission and values is well-being of our team members. And I think really putting our team front and center as I say, I, I think it's, it's actually a game changer. I think as we look forward um, into what's coming around the corner in the future, I think uh, you know, the, the, the people first mentality is something that I've been banging a drum for a long time and we're going to continue to bang uh, because I think it's just so essential in, in any commercial market that your people come first. Absolutely. I have a feeling we're going to be returning to that theme shortly. Maybe if we could just take a step back and think about when you first moved out um, to that part of the world. You said Kuwait, I think, was where you first landed yes. in Shire. What were some of those cultural differences that you uh, had to adopt to and adapt to? Um, I think it really was, it, it was actually, uh, I think, a baptism of fire for me. Um, I think coming in from the UK and, um, you know, coming into the Middle East, um, I, I landed in, into Kuwait and the first business I was opening was in, uh, in Dubai. So I, I, I spent about four weeks in Kuwait and then was very quickly into Dubai. And um, Kuwait and Dubai is, is starkly different. You know, Dubai is a very international city. 
Um, and sometimes I think people could forget that you're actually in the Middle East here. It's, it's very cosmopolitan. Kuwait, on the other hand, is very traditional um, and, and feels very uh, much smaller and much more local. Um, so the the ability to to, to kind of um, culturalize yourself, it, it really, Kuwait's a, a great place to start. And I, I'm, I'm really pleased that the four years I spent there has been a great time for me to, to get to know the, the the Middle East mentality and mindset. Now, the challenge in this part of the region is most of your workforce um, isn't from the country that you're living in. So when I was in Kuwait, um, I, there wasn't a period of time that I had any Kuwaitis working for me. When I was in Dubai, I've not had any Emiratis working for me. Um, most of the workforce is uh, from um, the east, so from um, places like the Philippines, India, Nepal, uh, have, a, as we say, a, you know, a rich number of nationalities. And I think the cultural piece there is working out very quickly that firstly, you're all in this together. I mean, the reason why I moved from the UK to Kuwait was for work. And when you get there and you have that mindset that you're actually all here for that reason, you're all here for work and you're all here to better yourselves, whether that be both financially or maybe on a professional level or on a personal level. Mm -hmm. And I think that then also just really kind of brings it back to home that the, 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 the whole relationship that you have with your team is very different because you really do start to look out for each other and on a, on a, on a personal level and as I said on a professional level. Um, so I think the cultural difference there is that while the hierarchy is there, one of the first things I wanted to do was actually try and break that down because I was working with, working with a team where because I was Western and because of my title, um, there, there was a level of um, wanting to come in and you know, I was being referred to as Mr. Tyrone, sir. And, and coming from, from the UK, that wasn't what I was used to and it certainly wasn't the culture that I wanted to curate. So you know, we, we went around and we made a lot of fun around it, you know, explaining to the team members that in the UK, when you're called sir, you're, a, you're, you're actually, you know, you've been knighted by the queen. Um, and, and really bringing some spirit into them so that they actually looked at you as, as more of an equal um, and giving them the confidence that that was acceptable. So um, I think the big cultural difference was, I mean, you know, having an amazing workforce that turns up on time, uh, you don't have to talk about jewelry, you don't have to talk about, uh, you know, going out and having to... Uh, press a, a uniform again. I mean, their energy levels is just so immense. Mm. Um, and, and it actually allows you to just spend so much time coaching and developing, developing them, uh, both on, uh, you know, from, 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 a, from a work point of view, but also from a, um, a personality point of view in terms of allowing them to really bring their personality through. So, I mean, I think in this part of the region, we're, we're very fortunate because the workforce is so good. Um, and I really, you know, can, I, I couldn't really say anything other than it's just amazing. And we have an amazing bunch of team. We have an amazing team uh, within our group. Um, and and I've, I've been fortunate enough in the seven years I've been in this region to always have really good people within the teams. And it just makes going to work so much easier um, because you, you do get to focus on development. You get to focus on uh, tomorrow and not always be talking about yesterday. Um, and that's just a great place to be. So I think from a cultural point of view, it's actually, it was actually, I think, the shock of firstly the pace that things were moving. Uh, and in this region, when, when I came out here seven years ago, you know, to, to go into a business where, um, you know, we were, I think on our first business in Shake Shack, we hired 52 people to open the doors. Within four weeks, we had to double that to 100 because of the volumes that were going through the door. Hmm. Um, to have to reassess and look at your whole strategy because you thought you were going to be opening businesses where you needed 50 people and every business thereafter needed a hundred. 
So for four years, having to go out and find the right people to manage those businesses, I think that was the cultural piece is that, you know, you just weren't really adapted to that because the volume and the scale of the businesses in the UK um, were really kind of exceptional. Um, so coming to Dubai, coming to Kuwait, um, to see the volumes that were flowing through these restaurants, and they were just massive, you know, lines for an hour, two hours, three hours, um, and it's just not stopping. And you really do have to find uh, very unique people that are able to firstly achieve that level and also consistently deliver it. So it sounds as if the leadership challenges are have been very different for you than perhaps you might have faced if you'd stayed in the UK or European market. You've touched on this uh, there I say a slight maybe long-term perspective that people have. I certainly experienced it myself in China, where just looking back at yesterday's PL wasn't the only thing that people focused on, and a much more longer-term view of the business growth, but also people's personal development. Is that something would you say is is pretty endemic there that there is that longer-term focus? Um, I think for some businesses, yeah. I mean, I, I think you know, I think one of the reasons why for our organisation, I, I see us um, being in this business for the longer term and able to perform better than our competitors is, is because I think we have that that real clear vision of being here for the long term, investing in now and investing in the future. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we're not we're not doing things on the short term, and we quite easily could. You know, we could quite easily make some significant cost saving cuts, but we know they'd be detrimental in the long run. Yeah. And I suppose it's it's having um, firstly owners that support you in that vision, um, but also I think it's great to be able to build a team around that that can see that uh, in play. Um, and again, I, I, I pull on uh, a lot of the learnings both from my time at SSP um, and at Mitchells and Butlers. And you know, again, one of the things we've launched in the last six months within our business is our management development program. And you know, we've just we've looked across our leadership team and identified the top performers who really are uh, people that we want to invest our time and effort in. Um, and it's just great to see people grow, people that have been in the business for three years, but yet maybe haven't had that opportunity to actually come out um, and stand side by side with their peers from other support functions, from operations, and really start to understand uh, that learning of management. And I, and I reflect of my time back at Mitchell and Butler's because that's why I left Denmark to come and do that. Mm. Um, and and I, I, I vividly remember my time doing that, and it was such, um, it, it had such an impact on me because again, Mitchell's and Butler's, when I was there, people were first. It was a very people-focused business. So I think I've been very fortunate enough to be, throughout my career, in, in organizations that generally look towards the future and have longer-term strategies. Now, that's not so common now um, as you look across the global economy and maybe some of the changes. And that's not to say that doesn't come without its challenges because, obviously, we're faced with the P&L challenges. We're faced with the, the cost increases. We've we're faced with um, you know, employment um, salaries that are wanting to increase. You know, we've got VAT joining uh, the UAE come January 1st, which will have an extra 5% overnight onto, on, onto the costs here. So there's plenty of challenges around, but how, how do we, you know, look at those into that future and how do we overcome them? And, and as I say, I, I, I'm a strong believer that I think having, having a human element with our teams, having uh, really a, a team that you can, um, inspire to want to deliver great service, uh, I think really is the way that we're going to cut ourselves out from, from the others. 
You've talked about, and with a lot of passion, Tyrone, the the cultural differences that you've got. I think you should have over 50 different nationalities working within your business. So you've got that challenge of bringing people together. And you mentioned that everybody's there for work. We're all in this together. We're here to better ourselves. So you've talked about that. The challenge of so many people working in organizations in different parts of the business, how do you stop the, the typical trap of people falling into silos, potentially having different agendas, keeping people unified on a mission and on a set of goals. How do you keep people focused? Um, I mean, it, it's a real challenge, and it, it, it's actually been something that we've had to uh, come at uh, very quickly because when I joined the business, um, it, it actually was a very silo-based business. Um, we've actually centralised a lot of our support function. So our F&B business was um, inherently, you know, each restaurant was ordering its own items. We've actually centralized now a lot of those pieces and we have a, a very strong team that's helping us uh, both in, improve on quality, uh, but at the same same time manage our costs. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's one of the reasons why we haven't, we're able to, to probably be as, um, as, as passionate about what we, what we want to deliver in the long term. Now, the silo-based mentality, I think, is, is more of a mindset. Um, and I think that's just around communications. Um, I mean, we're, we're very fortunate where the majority of our businesses are in Dubai. Um, but I've also had it, as I said, with my previous business in Al Shire and Shake Shack, where we were covering 10 countries. Um, so having silos, it, it's so challenging, but you just have to be rigorous in your communication, making sure that you're so open um, with what ideas you're working on, um, you know, conference calls for us is a norm. Um, you know, we are on and off conference calls probably twice a day. And even if it's just, you know, oh, we've thought about that, well, let's get a couple of guys on a, on a conference call and let's talk it through. Um, so maybe where you would normally be huddling in an office, um, we are very much an, uh, an operational driven business. So a lot of our team members are out in stores, in restaurants, and in 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 in, in the uh, in the businesses themselves, um, we just jump on calls on a frequent basis. And I think when people are in it together, okay. I think they feel part of what that better understanding is, or that better vision, or that bigger vision is. And I think that's the way to avoid the silos. I think silos are often there because people get frustrated because they can't achieve what they want to um, with what they feel they have around them because they're probably not aware of what is around them. Yeah. So I think being being very open, um, I think being very transparent, um, I think making sure that people are regularly uh, involved with the, the, the higher level communication. Um, you know, again, back to my M&B days, SSP days, you know, we have a weekly huddle. Um, we, we have our, our weekly uh, update meetings. We have our trading meetings. Um, you know, we have a really clear line of sight in terms of how that information flow carries through to our team members at the store level. Um, we are very target driven, but everyone knows what those targets are. Um, and I think with that and having that regular feed of information, people don't necessity, don't feel the necessity to work on their own. Um, you know, with, with great support, I think that's, that's the way to have it. It's just make sure that support is readily available.
Okay, so open, transparency, you've talked about the importance of getting people engaged, and then that regular communications, I'm sure it's two-way, where people have got the opportunity, where it's conference calls, meetings, huddles, etc., to hear what's going on and to feedback as well. Um, your site, you know, are some of the key things that you think are is helping to drive a less silo mentality for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we talk about rowing together. Um, you know, we, we, we do have a lot of analogies here um, uh, about how, um, you know, when you're rowing in a, in, a, in, a, in a very large boat, you all have to be in sync. And I think, you know, if, if someone's arm or, or wrist is out of motion by yeah. a degree or two, well, that can be the difference between a gold medal and a silver medal. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and, and, and I think it really is it's that level of detail that we have to get into to make sure that people feel that they really are working together as one single team. I love the metaphor, rowing together. So one of the themes that we talk about a lot on our podcast is operational excellence. It's a theme we return to again and again. What's your approach? How do you develop and deliver consistent operational excellence in your business? Um, well, I think, uh, I think that really has to come um, from, from all angles. Um, I mean, I myself, as I said earlier, you know, my, first, my first job was I stood in the kitchen washing up dishes and it's certainly something that I never forget um, what my roots are. And, and I think that operational focus and, and delivering consistency is about making sure that really everyone knows what their expectations, uh, what the expectations of the business and I think of each individual are. Um, I think, you know, we, 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 we've initiated very recently around um, a part of our vision of values. We do a back to the floor program, which we call Be There. Um, and, and I recently was out and, and spent a, a day across the businesses. Um, you know, I went and washed up uh, for, for an hour with the team um, and, and brought myself back to where I started from. Uh, went and priced um, uh, chocolate bars in, in, our, in our confectionery store um, and, and went and stood on the barista line um, making coffees uh, with the team. And I, and I think the operational excellence has to come from the leadership. Um, you know, we, we are a very hands-on team. Um, again, we're very fortunate. My office is across the bridge from the Dubai Mall, and I probably got about 80% of my businesses within one mall. So for me to actually get around and see those businesses and have an impact on them, um, I can do very quickly. Yeah. But then again, I've also experienced where I've got a business in uh, the UK, and I'm, I'm based in Kuwait. And how do you deliver operational consistency whenever you've got 7,000 7, miles between you? Um, it does become a challenge, um, and and I think you know the best way of delivering on that is, is, is like I say, having it's back to the communications, um, it's back to having the, everyone on the same page. Um, you know, people really understanding what is expected of them, um, and I think the consistency piece is also around how you then structure uh, the organisation, but then also how you structure each of those restaurants, each of those businesses. Um, you know, again, while we have created a number of brands ourselves, uh, we've, create, we've created them with a, a very clear mindset that we have specifications, mm -hmm. uh, we have clear ideas on, on what, what, what the standards are within those businesses. We, uh, you know, while they're homegrown brand, uh, businesses and brands, we've, we've, we've prepared brand books and guidelines, um, you know, very strong on SOPs to make sure um, that, that people are very clear around that. Yeah. And, and I think that's where the consistency comes in. 
I think uh, it's a question that we get asked a lot from the MMU perspective of you know, how do you achieve operational excellence? And I think you've said two things. Absolutely, um, I would endorse fully. It comes from the leadership. Uh, you know, what you permit, you promote. And uh, if you're not actively role modeling the kind of behavior, the kind of performance that you want to see, I think that becomes a real challenge to get that um, cascaded out in the, in the organization. But also going back to the basics of are people clear? what is required of them, what does good look like, is it written down, is it open to interpretation? And if you leave things open to interpretation, then guess what? People are going to interpret it very, very differently, which may or may not be acceptable. But uh, if you want consistency, it's very difficult to do that. Um, people often describe two cultures to me when it comes to operational excellence. And one I would define on one side as being about uh, dare I say, compliance. And on the other side, there's a culture of commitment. And of course, if you get a culture of commitment, you get compliance anyway, because people want to deliver it. They see the benefit in it. They, they, they see the value. It sounds to me like uh, Alibar Enterprises is very much on the uh, commitment side of the equation. It's about getting people to want to deliver. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, you know, Everyone, in, as I, I think, whenever I started, I think having a having a workforce that is here to work and chooses to come here. You know, no no one's forced to be in Dubai, and um, people make this, as I say, this journey um, often from from very far far places um, to come and, and and work and and to better themselves. And I think you just when you have that, you you have the commitment from the start. And I think that's where, as an organisation and as a, as a team, once you start giving that back to the team, they 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 just take it and they run with it. Yeah. And that's what's really exciting to, to see. Um, you know, we, we often hire people that don't work in the industries um, that we manage um, because we see something in them. You know, again, Danny Meyer talks about the 51 percenters, and that really is about personality-based interviews. You know, the 49 percent, which is the, uh, the, the, the kind of more um, uh, the, the, the actual process of the role and the job in itself and, and what you can train people to do. But the 51 percent, which is the majority of it, is personality, which you can't change. Absolutely. So, you know, do you hire a smile? Do you know? Do I do I uh, observe a handshake and how they approach me and how they speak to me and whether they can look me through in the eye and whether they actually are bubbly because they need to be in in, in, a, in an environment where they need to be friendly and chatty. Um, they're all the triggers that we look for, and you know that really is just what we look for because I think the commitment then comes when you hire people that want to do that that job and want to be in that place. It really comes easy. I love the way you put that, Tyrone. Hire the smile. That's that's what it's about. <laughs> Taking people with Absolutely. the right attitude and 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 desire to want to give great service, and you can train the process. Uh, great. Yeah. So, because of you, I mean, your understanding of both the UK European markets and and where you are now, where are there any big cultural differences between the needs and wants of customers when it comes to their attitude to eating out? Are they after different things, or are they very similar to consumers, guests in the UK and Europe? Um, it's a really interesting one because I mean, I think um, the, the Middle East, we we. We, we, we have a, a, a real big culture of dining out. I mean, it, it's absolutely huge. I mean, um, we, we've recently had some reports through, and I think in, 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 in Dubai alone or in the, in the UAE, um, it's around 67% um, of the population eat out um, every weekend. Um, wow. And then about, I think it's three out of four have a delivery once a week. Now, you know, when I was then thinking about how that then translates to the UK, um, I think in the UK that is probably ex is, is maybe expressed as a ready meal, hmm. um, you know. Again, but that's not established here. 
you know, ready meals, whenever you go into a supermarket, ready meals aren't really available because so many people dine out, so many people have deliveries. I mean, the delivery trend here, while I know in, in, in London it's, 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 it's big, it's yeah. huge here. Mm-hmm. You know, businesses here could, you could see businesses here with 35% of their um, revenue on delivery. So the delivery model piece here is, 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 is really strong. You know, the idea of having root kitchens, having remote locations that can deliver, that might not even have um, a storefront um, is a really big, big piece that everyone's looking at here. Um, I mean, it, it even goes as far as, um, you know, contractors that are building new developments, they're actually making kitchens smaller because they know that people are dining out so frequently. So they don't need to build the kitchens and actually service the kitchens in the same way that they did five years ago. So the whole culture of that is really, really changing. Um, and, and I think, you know, that, that's, that's certainly some of the things we're seeing here in terms of the trends um, and, and how that is. Um, and I think there is just an expectation here that there is a higher standard of service. Um, I think people have come on holiday here. I think you know, everyone, when I speak to, they all know, you know, they say how clean it to my ears. Um, they, they say how, um, you know, everyone is so friendly. Um, and I think that's just, that, that really is just the, the nature and the, and the style. I mean, as, you know, I started out talking about how a country has a ministry of happiness. Um, there is really a desire to, to, to be, you know, the best in class in everything. Yeah. Um, that's from building the world's tallest tower to having the world's biggest mole. Um, but there is a lot more that goes beyond that. And I think, again, that's where service really does shine through. Um, you know, the world's only seven-star uh, hotel in the Burj Al Arab. Um, but when you have that as what I, I mean, really for us, that then becomes a hygiene factor where we say, look, that's the norm. You know, how, how do we get better than that? How do, we, yeah. how, do we deliver great, how do we deliver greatness? So you've got to continuously continue to just keep raising that bar with everything that you do every day. I mean, you know, a, a mantra that I talk to my team about so frequently is, you know, if we, if we do what we've always done, we're going to get what we've always got. Mm-hmm. And it really is about what, what are you doing today that you did not do yesterday? How are you changing something today to do something better? You know, how, how, do you, how, do you, how do you make those efficiencies day by day to actually improve standards, to improve service? And I think that's something that I think certainly in this part of the world, it really is inbuilt. But then we have to do it at such pace because things change, things move very, very quickly for us on, on such a frequent basis. I think that challenge of um, already having exceptional service buildings just as you say best in class of everything and that constant sense of renewal how do we get better how do we improve how do we continuously improve i think that takes us right back to your earlier comment about people and the way you're going to do that is by talking to people engaging them getting them to enjoy their work uh, all of those things that you spoke about in the, uh, at the start of the, the call which act as the catalyst for wanting to deliver better absolutely absolutely are there any brands or innovations or trends that you've seen coming out of the Europe or the US that you think are interesting and, and you're looking to bring uh, to your world? Um, well, without getting into maybe some details, I mean, we're, we're always looking, we're always talking. Hmm. Um, we, 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 we have a, a number of brands that we're in uh, conversations with right now. Um, but I think, I mean, you know, any I think trends, previously as yeah, no, no. I think everyone was looking to the US, and while we watch the US, um, we probably don't look at it as, as closely as we as, as we used to. I think the UK right now, I think uh, London, 
really for us looking from the Middle East is really a hot spot right now. Yeah. Um, you know, we know the chicken segment is flying. Um, we see that, you know, I suppose with my fast casual background, um, you know, the, the chicken segment, the better, the better chicken segment is really an area that seems to be doing deliveries and, and how do we crack deliveries um, is a huge part. So, you know, maybe building brands that, as I said, don't have a fascia, but are an online brand. Um, you know, it's something that, you know, certainly we're looking at from a trend point of view. Um, but we're actually looking the other way now. I mean, we're, we're actually looking to Asia and Australia um, just for, I think, a level of freshness. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe also, I suppose, because we're in the Middle East, being the center of the globe, we can look both ways. Um, and we're certainly seeing out of Australia um, a real, real push on uh, quality of ingredients. And I know that's not a new message, but it does seem to be kind of reigniting its, it itself. Um, I think that the better casual space, I think the, uh, was it the fine casual that's been defined now? Um, I think that's a, a real area. And I think the other trend is of, of having just smaller footprint units. Um, you know, the days of having big, big barns um, that you need to fill, whereas, you know, the idea of going in and having something that is just so much smaller, um, where there might even be a line for it. Um, and, you know, we, we're certainly seeing that across um, the UK, um, you know, in, in many ways from a very entrepreneurial way of working. Hmm. Um, and I think in Dubai, that's, that's really coming around itself. I mean, that, you know, as part of our vision, we want to be better at developing our own brands. And I think that's something we've really looked at yeah. in the last uh, couple of years is how do we develop a team around us that can start to develop brands. Um, and, you know, we'll be, we'll be launching our, um, a, a brand um, which we've grown ourselves uh, in December. Um, so that really is the start of really, I think, our homegrown piece. Um, and that will be, that'll be, that'll be trimmed along the same by, by also looking outside and seeing what brands we can bring in. Because with the brands that we bring in, there, there, there comes you know, a level of uh, awareness about the brands, the, 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 the actual consistency that the brands have developed themselves. So we're kind of playing it on both fields really from us and looking very much around the globe. Um, I mean, the, the Middle East mature, has matured. Um, and I think, you know, from, from, from the days itself of everyone looking and when you do come to Dubai and into the, into the UAE, you do see every US brand that you could think of. Um, but the question is now what hasn't come out of the US? I mean, you, you, you could look for the next Shake Shack that, you know, has got three units and that can uh, hopefully grow to the size and scale that that business has. But with, when you're doing that, you're taking such a risk. So I think, you know, Looking at where we are, you know, there's a there's a, a, a real big trend now, um, you know, from entrepreneurialism in this part of the world, um, people growing their own brands, um, the Gen X who have lived through the brands that have been brought into it and have probably understood how to develop a brand. Mm. So we're, we're really looking at how that plays out for us in the future now. Okay. So looking forward, what would you say for the next 12 months, what's your big, wildly important goals that you've got? You've mentioned, obviously, you've got your own brand concept opening up in December, but what else is happening for you that's on your plate that you're looking forward to? Um, well, I think, again, I think that the, the, the drumbeat kind of is, is pretty consistent with us. Um, it really is about happy teams. Um, you know, we're, we're looking to see how we can invest further in our, in our team. Um, we're looking to see how uh, we can develop our own people. Um, so it really is around people, our teams. Um, service is a big focus for us. We're continually looking at that, and that's going to be, again, I think the big thing that we look at over the next 12 months. Hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the economy across the world is, 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 is challenged right now. Um, and I guess where other people will be looking to cut, I think we're looking to invest. We're looking to invest in our team. We're looking to invest in, in, in the future of our teams. Um, 
you know, and again, that's, that's twinned with a really strong commercial strategy to make sure that we invest in the right areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it really is. It's, it's people, service, and, and having a happy team around us. Great. I mean, what a fantastically optimistic uh, call this has been, uh, Tyrone. It's been great to talk with you. One question that I always ask people, my very last one, is if you could go back in time and talk to the younger <laughs> Tyrone Reed, what bit of, bit of advice would you give to that young Tyrone? Oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a real tricky one. Um, I think for myself, I mean, I, I really didn't find, uh, I, I think it was probably about neglecting education. Um, I know through, I've got an 11 year old son now, and I think having, um, you know, only worked out what I wanted to do at the age of 16 and, and, and probably neglected a bit of my education through my younger years, that would certainly be something that I would look back and say differently now. Um, and then again, I went into vocational, in, into vocational qualifications and then went on to do a master's later in life. Mm. Um, would I have done that differently? Possibly. Although it doesn't take away from, I suppose, my operational and hands-on experience that I gained through having those vocational qualifications. Mm. Um, and I think the other piece probably would be about not taking no for an answer. There was probably a few occasions in my <laughs> life where someone said no and I was like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, I think now, you know, the older, the wiser Tyrone um, probably would ask again. Excellent. I like that. Keep persevering. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Well, Tyrone, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. Um, I have a funny feeling that uh, you may get some people contacting you based on the the call that we've had today. Um, We will put your your contact details, if that's okay, in the show notes if anyone does you a line. And I'm sure they can uh, drop you any additional questions or they want to understand um, your business in further detail. Thanks again for your time. Have a fantastic day. And we look forward to speaking to you again at some point on Multisite Masters. Thanks very much, Lee. Been a pleasure. So thanks again to Tyrone, CEO of Alibar Enterprises, for taking part in this episode. For me, there was two key takeaways concerning his focus on people, starting perhaps with that mission statement in which they got everyone involved in making it a more emotional, genuine, and let's, let's be frank, less corporate mission statement. And I love what they came up with to bring lovable brands and moments to life for our passion, our values, and our positivity. This theme of people first came up a great deal, whether in relation to involving people in setting their goals, ensuring they've got clear expectations about what needs to be done, but also, of course, listening to their views. Ultimately, everybody needs to be focused on the goal, and he used that metaphor of rowing together to help describe the importance of working as one team with one clear goal or finish line in mind. The second key takeaway was his views on how you achieve operational excellence. Often we hear, and rightly so, the importance of ensuring the standard is clearly defined and written down. But for me, what Tyrone really stressed was the need for an ethos of ops excellence to come from the top in all things. He cited that example of their Be There program, where senior team members regularly spend time back on the floor, yes, to help keep in touch with the basic operation, but more importantly, to lead by example, and in his case, to show that no role is beneath the CEO to get involved. A true example of demonstrating that we are all in this together. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Multisite Masters. As ever, please do share this series with your colleagues and friends in other multi-site organizations that you know. And of course, if you get a chance, please do leave a review and rating for the series on iTunes or SoundCloud, as it helps the podcast get noticed by other people, and we're all for sharing the love. So until the next episode of Multisite Masters, take care, everyone.